On this week's Behind the Idea, we discuss the DaVita Healthcare bull case with Mike Nip, a Seeking Alpha reader who contacted us after our first episode on the stock to tell us what we got wrong. We talked about that on this call. For example, there's some confusion around the pricing mechanism DaVita uses, as he argues. So what the government has said is, you know, the insurance company has to carry you for 33 months, and then the insurance company is allowed to put you to Medicare. What the short thesis does not tell you, or the lack of digging does not tell you, is that the insurance company has this put. He also sums up what he doesn't get about the short case and why he likes this as a potential winner. What I don't understand about the shorts is I just, I see, okay, great. When you get all this bad news on DeVita, these bad headlines, you might make 4 or $5 on the downside. But this is, this is just business as is, getting rid of DMG. I, I see this as well over a $100 stock. So I, I, don't, I don't like the risk reward. DeVita operates in healthcare, which means profits get mixed up with matters of health and life or death. That makes for some messy realities and cognitive dissonances. How should investors think about that? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. I'm following up on the podcast we did in January about DeVita Healthcare, ticker symbol DVA, the dialysis company that has been in the crosshairs of everyone from short sellers to comedians, while also sitting in Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio for years. We have a special guest. It's for the first time we're welcoming, welcoming on a reader from the site who reached out in response to our January podcast on the company where we expressed some reservations about it. Mike Nip is a private investor and is, has been for a decade, and most relevant to today's discussion, he's a bull about DeVita. So we're excited to discuss the story with him. Before we get started, a couple quick notes. Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work, building on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. I am long Berkshire Hathaway B shares, which will come up in this discussion, and Mike is long DVA and Berkshire Hathaway B. Nothing on this podcast is meant as investment advice of any sort, and we're recording this conversation on Tuesday, February 19th. So that said, welcome to Behind the Idea, Mike. Very happy to be here, Daniel. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. What did we talked? We were, I think, walked away fairly bearish about Devito in our conversation, Mike Taylor and I. What do you think we got wrong, or what do you disagree with either us about as sort of observers or the shorts who have talked up Devita over the years? Sure, I uh, you know I, I listened to your podcast. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought there were uh, you know w- w- when I look at uh, the dialysis business. It took me a long time to understand it, and I think you have to dig pretty deep in order to understand how the industry works, and then in particular how DeVita fits into the whole system. So the things I heard, I think, were were items you hear fairly commonly, but the, the reason that I like the business, uh, DeVita and, and in this industry, I think there's three main things that you touched on a little bit. You talked a little bit about inelastic demand, and I think that's very important. the The company has, you know, the, the demand for dialysis is it just has to be done. It's a duopoly business. 
There's basically two players in the United States. It's uh, Fresenius and uh, DeVita with 80% of the market share. And then I, I, what I see that I think perhaps a lot of people have difficulty seeing is there's two things. I think there's significant barriers to entry. I think there's a real moat around the business. But I also think there's predictable pricing. And I think that's, for me, I'm a long-term investor. As you mentioned, I, I've owned Berkshire Hathaway for 15, 16 years. I've owned DeVita for about three. The predictability of revenue is very important to me. So I think that's the hardest thing to see sometimes with, uh, with, with DeVita and with this industry in general. So that's kind of a framework where I, where I think we need to drill down on. Yeah, so let's do that. Let's start first of all with the moat. What one of the things you mentioned? So we we started. You sent a direct message to me after we posted the podcast, and you shared some thoughts on the on the stock. And one of the things you mentioned was that you think that dialysis is an essential good that ultimately saves the system money. So I guess just what what is what is Davida's moat? What actually allows them to be to stand out from you, you know whether it's the other players in the industry or just in general, what's, what gives them protection? I think the the hardest thing, I think the hardest thing for people to see is the, uh, what, what we might call the, the, the captive nephrologist, the, the business, each dialysis clinic, you know, this is dialysis done. The DeVita and Fresenius approach is to do a dialysis in an outpatient uh, setting and by law, each of those clinics must have a medical director that's a, that's a nephrologist, and you know that that nephrologist has, uh, you know, he he work he works uh, he has his own practice, but he's also the medical director for for a clinic, and the the nephrologists are, if you want to look at it this way, they're locked up on 10-year contracts with non-competes. And because DeVita controls that resource, that makes that gives a tremendous barrier to entry for other people coming in, in in a big way. And so that's one of the big things that I see. And then in, in terms of just their size, there's advantages in terms of scale, purchasing power, training, for employees, that type of thing, but the 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 relationship, the long term locked up relationship with the nephrologist is what I consider to be the moat that very few people see, because there's there's a shortage of these people, and so that guarantees sort of the, that the, through the nephrologists you get the patients who are coming in in need of that's sort of where the the patients come from is the nephrologist's referral. Is that the yeah? Way he's, he's going to supply right. He's going to supply a lot of his patients, but 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 the big thing is is you can't you can't really open a clinic. You can't open a clinic and run a clinic unless you have uh, this medical director. And so if I control if I control this, the supply of these medical directors and they're on tenure contracts and I have, and they, then they're, they have non-competes. That's, that's going to pose a real problem for other people coming in. 
And then, and then that would take us to the demand side. So let's, let's look at the demand side on, and in my view, you have to understand, you know, a little bit about, you know, this, this whole condition, but you know, these, these people that are the, the, the patients, these, these are people that are, you know, very, very sick. And, you know, you, you have to ask yourself what, what happens if this business does not exist? I think what people get concerned about is this business somehow can go away. And my view is it's, it's not going to go away. The demand is predictable. It's growing. The, the, the healthcare trend, the, excuse me, the condition uh, trends are bad. You know, Davida does something like 90,000 to 100,000 treatments a day. People that have the, the end-stage renal disease have, you know, a couple of choices. They have to, they can either get a transplant, kidney transplant, or they have to have dialysis three times a week. And each, each one of these treatments, it's, it's a four-hour treatment. You know, they come in, they're hooked up to a machine. There's lots of things that can go wrong. These people are very sick. It's, you know, and, and, and their choices are, if you don't get dialysis, you basically, I mean, you, you're, you're going to die in within two weeks. Your blood has to be filtered to take out all the toxic, toxic substances. Mm-hmm. And so it's either got to happen in a clinic, in a clinic setting, outpatient clinic, or it's going to happen in, in a hospital. And so the most efficient way to do this is to do it in the out, outpatient clinic. So the thing that I ask myself is, you know, what happens if the business does not exist? Well, then your emergency rooms are going to get, you know, flooded and, and, and it's going to be done at a much higher cost. You know, so who's going to perform the treatment? You know, it, it, this isn't like, and it's a repetitive it's a repetitive type of uh, procedure, the uh, dialysis, where the more you do it, the better you get. And so, you know, it's... it's That's something uh, to yes. jump in. Something I wanted to ask was, is the dialysis, cur- like, what is the usual lifespan of a patient? And is it curative? Is it is it something that leads towards curing end-state renal disease or stabilizing it or how, what are the dynamics yeah, no, that, around that? that's a good question it you know it, it depends on the, it, it depends on the stage of the disease but for for many of these people it, it's you know they're they're eventually going to die so you know i think the uh, i'm going to say the average is something you know five five to six years depending on the uh, level of the condition and so you know, I, I don't, I don't have the exact number, but it's a fatal mm-hmm. disease for many, many people. And so, you know, but but the point is, is that, and I, what I think people don't realize is that, you know, this isn't like like cleaning your teeth. This is there. There are lots of problems with, you know, that can go wrong. There's all kinds of infections that can happen. There's internal infections. There's external infections. And, you know, they have to be uh, dealt with efficiently. And if, you know, if, if they're not, people are going to get hospitalized. And so you have to match up, you know, the, the cost of one to two weeks in the hospital with serious infections versus, 
you know, doing this dialysis three times a week and, and doing it doing it correctly. Let's let's go to the other side of what you were talking about, which is the predictable pricing, because I think this is something that often comes up in short theses about DeVito, which is that it's essentially there I think there are t- two things as I understand it. First, there's sort of the scratching their head about the fact that private insurance is charged, let's say, you know, just to throw out a number I don't remember, but a thousand a treatment or more per treatment, whereas Medicare is only reimbursed something like two hundred or two hundred forty dollars a treatment, if I if I have the numbers right. And mm-hmm. and then the other part of that is that also you have these weird things going on with the with potentially the American kidney fund. Like there's some sort of nebulous payment flows going on. And I think that's where just generally, I think healthcare, you have a lot of confusing cases like that. I think that was part of the one piece of the puzzle with Valiant that, you know, raised questions. But yes. how do you, how do you factor in what, what's your views on yeah. those two issues and the pricing in general? Yeah. And I think you're hitting on the key issue. I think that's the issue that scares uh, most people away. And it takes a lot of digging to understand why the system is set up the way it is. So the issue is, you know, you you have two issues. It's the pricing and then who pays and how much do they pay. And when you look at it as first blush, it doesn't seem to make much sense. So as you were saying, uh, the private insurer pays for a treatment. So this four-hour treatment, he pays somewhere around $1,000. Medicare pays a, the medicare payment is i'm going to call it it's 235 dollars so it, it seems to make no sense that the private insurer would pay a thousand and and medicare would pay you know a quarter uh, you know uh 25 uh, of that rate and and you get this situation what i what i call it is where 10 percent of the customers are on private insurance and that's where DeVita makes all their money. And 90% of the customers are on, on a Medicare rate. And I refer to that group as they're the ones that pay the bills and, and allow the company to expand. It's kind of at, you know, cost for DeVita. And, and all their profit is made on the, on the insurance side, on the private insurance side. But the industry and, 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 and the only way to understand that, you know, dichotomy is to understand how the industry is set up. And, and so I, what I'd say is you have to view it as a triangle and, and where there's uh, three interest groups and then DeVita sitting in the middle. And the first interest group is the patient. And the patient's interest is to keep the patient alive give him an affordable cost and, and allow him to get treatment. That's one group. The next group is the insurance company and his interest is he doesn't want to pay too much, but he also does not want to pay for expensive hospital stays. And if, you know, about 35% of the cost of this whole problem of this, this, this end stage renal disease, 35% of it is, is what Fresenius and DeVita does. The other 65% is hospitalization, drugs, and 
you know, that that's where the heavy expense is. So the insurance company has this balance where, you know, they don't like paying a thousand dollars, but they also don't want to get stuck with a, a two week hospital stay that might cost them, you know, fifteen thousand dollars. The third the third piece of the triangle is the government. And the government has the, the patient's interest at heart, but they do something that makes this work for the insurance company and the patient and DaVita. So the gov- this, this, this has been heavily regulated by CMS for about 30 years now. And this is the only condition where you can qualify for Medicare benefits when you're under 65 years old. And in fact, about half of the half of the patients that undergo dialysis are under 65 years old. So what I'd say is, let's say you're a, uh, you know, let's say you're a 35 year old and, and you're working for a company and you've been paying in insurance your whole life. And now you come up with, with this disease. You automatically qualify for Medicare benefits to pay for this. But what the insurance, the insurance company is required to carry you for 33 months. And you have to imagine yourself, you may, you might, you know, you come down with this disease, you, you've been paying into insurance your whole life, you lose your job, and now you're hope, you know, you're, you're, you're hopeless. So what the government has said is, you know, the insurance company has to carry you for 33 months. And then the insurance company is allowed to put you to Medicare. So what the what what the short thesis does not tell you, or the lack of digging does not tell you, is that the insurance company has this put where they get to get rid of these very expensive patients, and hopefully these folks will live another ten years and they'll be paid out at Medicare at this lower rate. So that is you know that is what you never hear in the short thesis uh, about the ability to uh, you know get rid of these patients so what the government does they control the medicare rate and okay go i'm sorry go ahead well you i just on on the on the insurance side what what's interesting yeah. to me i was we've just been talking for example about we just had a conversation about PCG, the the utility story, and about the, and we got into talking about the insurance markets around the catastrophic insurance and just sort of the uh-huh. the areas that you can price in or not, and the the, the value of predictability. So something like a hurricane yeah. is a more predictable risk, whereas you know the increasing prevalence of wildfires is tougher to price because it just you don't know you don't have as much of its historical timeline to work with and i wonder what you're sort of setting up then you're arguing that for the insurance company there's not that much of an or you know sure they'd love to pay a lower price but as long as they have that put it becomes very easy to model out the pricing around this and so then right they have it's not unbearable and they can then they can hand off the risk to somebody else. And that's, so it becomes capped. Is that, is that the way that you view the, the insurance company's role here? Absolutely. But, but remember, you know, who's, who's, whose interest is the most important? The most important interest is the patient's interest. And, you know, prior to this, 
set up, you know, people just, you know, people would, people would die. I mean, people would not be able to get the, you know, they had a problem, you know, getting, getting, getting coverage, coverage, or, you know, the, 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 the clinics wouldn't get paid. And so, you know, the government's the one that makes this, makes this thing work. And your point about them being able to model out their costs, you know, this is all very predictable in terms of, you know, demand and, and, and that type of thing, right? Because you're talking 100, just for DaVita, you're talking 100,000 treatments a day. So the insurance company has lots of data to work with to model out how they'll make money. How far back does this arrangement go? How long, as far as you know, how long has the current setup been in place? It's been about, uh, I'm going to say 30 years. And okay. it's worked, and, and that's a very good point, because it's worked very well. And the, what I mean that it works very well is the, you know, patients are living long. you know, people with this disease are living longer they're getting better care. Obviously, the insurance companies are making lots of money. I mean, if you look at all their all the United Healthcare, you know, Anthem, the largest Blue Cross, Humana, mm-hmm. there th- those stocks in just in the last ten years have been up six, seven hundred percent. So, right, I don't have as much sympathy for the insurance company argument as I do for the interest of the patient you know well so let's some of that go ahead well let, just let, let's kind of open that up because i think that's also yeah. on i would imagine on investors minds is that healthcare is a very political topic too where yes. already you know early as it is we're already approaching another presidential cycle and i think there's one of the you know, drug prices, for example, is something that you could argue has bipartisan support wanting to control that. And I just wonder how you view in general, we don't, without, we, we don't need to go too into detail over what might happen, but there are yeah. a lot of different proposals around what could happen to healthcare. There's a potential of some change to the healthcare ecosystem. What is your, how do you, how do you deal with that when you think about DeVita? How do you sort of, Think through that. Well, look, you know, uh, if we go to single payer and, and, and these type, you know, I I don't know where we're going here. Here, here, here is my here's the way I look at it. The way I look at it is we're not going to let people die in this country unnecessarily. If the reimbursement rates, if we do not have a system that works for the dialysis industry, First of all, this, you know, this procedure is best done in an outpatient setting, okay, not in a hospital. And DaVita has the highest quality of care, they're the lowest quality, they're, they're the lowest cost provider, and they deliver high throughput uh, at these clinics. And we cannot have clinics closing down because this problem is getting worse. The, the, you know, demand demand for dialysis is growing, you know, four or five percent a year. It grows with population, goes with population growth. But we have some other trends of obesity and uh, diabetes that are get continue to get worse in this country. Uh, and people have to have 
accessibility to dialysis. If you disrupt this system in any major way, you're going to flood the emergency rooms. And if, if clinics start closing down, you're going to have, a, you know, some catastrophic problems. So I don't know what's going to happen with healthcare, And I think that's a great question, but somehow they cannot disrupt the, yeah, this is, this is, this is a success story. The dialysis industry in the United States is a success story. People are, you know, more people are, they live longer. There's, there's, it's still a, a fatal disease, but people are living longer and, you know, it, it, it's affordable for them. So you raise a good point, but I, you know, I have a different view, I guess. Sure. So I want to, I want to switch gears and kind of go towards the financials with a question or two about just how you're thinking about this as an investment case. And I think the first thing, something we talked about in our call but that you raised in in your message to me in somewhat disagreement is the balance sheet. And I'm just curious how you think about the balance sheet, because to us, it seemed like, you know, we know there's a pending sale of its DMG unit, which uh, they I think it's United Health and they agreed to uh, they recut the deal price a little bit lower, but it's supposed to be, you know, in the works of closing. But even once you factor that in, assuming the cash on the balance sheet, there there are a couple. There's still a decent debt load. I think uh, the quick math I did was over five billion in debt. And then there's also the question of you know there there was something that came up in Ethan Watkins' original article that we reviewed around put options for 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 the physicians involved or something like that. I guess. To cut to the chase, what do you think of the balance sheet? What do you think of Davida's fiscal financial situation right now? Well, look, Davida, and this this is this is a great question because Davida has plenty of debt. They have uh, you know debt of about uh, nine point. I think the debt number is roughly nine point two billion, and they have this pending deal with selling DMG, and DMG. The physicians group needs to be sold. It's a business. Uh, it represents about half their business. Uh, they're not, you know, they prove they don't know how to run it. They need to sell it. Uh, it they have an agreed upon deal with United Healthcare to sell the business for four point four point four billion, four point two billion, something like that. So here's the way I look at it. Because yeah, they have a, a, a levered balance sheet. The first thing I'd say is they have very predictable demand. So if you know pricing just stays the same, it's it's going to be fine. But this is where it makes a good investment. If when DMG gets sold, uh, the company will have four four point let, we'll call it four point two billion dollars to reduce that uh, nine you know that nine point two billion dollar debt. The business itself generates about. 800 million a year in free cash flow. That's after reinvestment and after uh, debt service. So here's how I look at it, Daniel. Let's say that DMG closes tomorrow. The company will have $5 billion this year available to reduce debt. That takes them down to $4.2 billion. 
their EBITDA is 2.1. So now their debt to EBITDA is two. That's very, they're, and they've already stated that they're going to use the bulk of the proceeds for two things, reduce debt, make people more comfortable and, and buy back stock. They've been very, very clear on this. They've said that their target, so so assume this deal gets done, we have a debt to EBITDA of two. Their target number to run run at is 3.5. Okay, that's that's their that's their uh, ratio that they want to run at. So in year one, this year, they could use $3.2 billion to buy back stock. Now I modeled this out. Last week, they, the company has 166 million shares outstanding at 55 bucks a share. They could buy; they'll buy back 60 million shares or 35 percent of the company, just just this year. But DMG's got to close in right. years in the next four years. So years two, three, four, and five. Again, running with that uh, debt to EBITDA ratio, they generate. 800 million in free cash flow. They can retire another 60 million shares or 35%. So you get, you know, you get 166 million minus 120 million in five years, you get 46 million shares outstanding. And you're going to have with their, with their free cash flow number, $17, you know, in free cash flow a share, which is a 32 you know, 33% free cash flow yield. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because the stock has to, the stock's going to have to go up. It's just, you know, right. I mean, they've been very, very clear about what they're going to do with the proceeds from DMG. Reduce, you know, reduce debt to a comfortable level and then use the rest for buying back stock. So, you know, my, my take is I don't... What I don't understand about the shorts is I just, I see, okay, great. When you get all this bad news on DeVita, these bad headlines, you might make four or $5 on the downside, but this is, this is just business as is getting rid of DMG. I, I see this as well over a hundred dollar stock. So I, I don't, I don't like the risk reward. What do you think about the risk reward as far as what's going on with DMG? What's and how does yeah. like what what what's going on there and how, how do you think about the risks around that? Yeah, no, that's that's uh, actually a very good question. So you know, this deal was announced about fourteen months ago. They said it was going to close last year. It didn't close last year. You know, they said it was going to close in Q4, and in anticipation of that, the company you know added some more debt to. To buy back stock, they bought back fifteen percent of their stock last year. Excuse me, ten percent of their stock last year, and then the deal didn't close, and they announced an impairment. So the the purchase price, the cash purchase price, went from four point nine million to four point four four point nine billion to four point four billion. So there was a you know half billion dollar impairment. And that uh, bothered, uh, you know, that bothered everybody. It certainly bothered me. And this deal's dragging out. And with the government shutdown, you know, the FTC is not doing anything. And so, gee, I hope it closes this quarter, but but who knows? So I think you have, you got a couple strikes against them where 
they were wrong on the time frame, and then they surprised people with this impairment. So the deal has to, the deal, they've got to get rid of DMG. And I'm not sure why they wouldn't be able, able to. Hopefully there's not going to be any more impairments and this thing will get sold in the next few months for, for the uh, new cash price. But it's, it's, a valid, it's, a valid, it's a valid point. So maybe you, you've sort of set up what your upside case is, which is essentially that they do it does close, they turn on the buyback machine, and then either you have the, I suppose, good fortune of being able to buy up shares at a really low price and the free cash flow yield is predictable, et cetera, or eventually you have upward pressure pushing the stock higher. I guess right. my 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 last question then is you you've sort of said DMG is one risk but if we were to do this call you know a, a revisit 2 or 3 years from now or even 5 years from now and you decided you it didn't work if let's say the yeah. stock is still at 55 or it's at 30 or whatever the case may be what do you right. think what what would what what story do you think you would be telling about why why this didn't work out for you yeah, no, I think that's a that's that's a really great question. The biggest risk. So, if DMG didn't get sold, that that might be you know the situation, right? But the thing that would bother me the most is if 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 uh, Davida did another large transformational acquisition outside their core competency. So okay. when they did the when they did. You know, Davida was doing great, and then they went and bought. Uh, you know, they uh, they went and bought. You know, this DMG group about. I'm gonna. It was. I think it was back in 2012, so about six years ago. And now they're. And I gotta give management credit that they got rid of. They're, they're getting rid of it. It would really bother me if they did another transformational acquisition. Uh, you know, they need to stick to the dialysis business. Just buy back stock, continue opening clinics. So that would be the biggest thing I would I would say. You know, if the stock was sitting in the 30s, it's because they did a dumb acquisition. And then the other the other area I'm not so sure about is once they get into international in a big way. So you know, all these rates that I'm talking about, you know, apply to the United States, and that's where. I'm going to say 95% of their businesses. I'm not so sure, you know, how this works in other countries. And so I could see a scenario if they expanded massively internationally where, you know, maybe it doesn't work. But that's because it's an area I'm totally ignorant on. The biggest thing would be the, uh, you know, doing a dumb acquisition. And hopefully they and that Go ahead, the the international thing isn't built into what you're not expecting international growth. That's just you know if in theory they were to go for more intensively abroad, that would add more. More. Questions. No, I think they. I think they are. I think they are going to go. You know, they they are going internationally slowly, and so you know, uh, you know, feeling their way out on this. Obviously, Fresenius has a very good international business. So as long as they proceed slowly with that, I think it's great if they go out and buy, you know, uh, 
I, I just don't know the reimbursement rates and those types of things in other countries. Right. And that would make that would make me uncomfortable. Got it. I, okay. understand, I understand it pretty well here. I, th- I think I might have mentioned this to you. Uh, you know, my, my brother uh, had this condition and he died about uh, 16 months ago. And that's how I kind of learned so much about uh, and, and he was well under 65. And that's how I learned so much about right. what, what the value of, you know, of this industry really is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that. And it obviously kind of adds a different layer onto what you're doing when you're investing yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I spent, you know, I, I was in these clinics uh, a number of times and I, and I, what, what surprised me most was how sick these people are. You go into a clinic setting, there's, you know, 20 of these stations and what surprises you is how sick so many of these people are. Many of them, just because of their conditions, they're not, they are not candidates for transplants. They, they, they can't, you know, they can't tolerate a transplant. And, and I hear people talking about, uh, you know, the sink, you know, having a filter that you can wear in your body to filter the blood. Well, these, these units, these dialysis units are the size of small refrigerators. I don't see how you're going to do that. So I, I learned a lot about the business, you know, because of the situation with my brother. And it gave me a real appreciation for wh- why demand is so, is so inelastic, as you put it on your last uh, call. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, I think one thing that this occurs to me with, with how, you know, with, with investing, it's really easy to sort of abstract everything to the numbers, but I think healthcare, healthcare is messy. And I think that may be what makes it challenging to, to go through everything on either side of the aisle, either long or short. It is. It's messy. And unless you understand this triage I was talking about, it, it makes it difficult to it makes it difficult to understand why this setup makes sense. And then again, the backdrop is the system's been in place for 30 years and it works really, really, you know, it's 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 extending lives and giving uh, patients better, better quality of life. And that that's why, you know, I look at it and say it's going to continue. You know, the insurance right. companies walk, but they're making, you know, last I checked, they're making lots and lots of money. And it's not like the Vita. It's not like the Vita has obscene profits. They they do not. You know, I, I hate to say it. They, I don't think they pay their people all that much. You know, they, they hire them on attitude and care and that type of thing. But these people are not the employees aren't getting rich. Right. Wow. Okay. Any any last thoughts on the on your investment case here, or, or on the discussion around Davida in general? No, I I, uh, I appreciate the you know I, like I say I really enjoyed your uh, first podcast on it, and and that's why I sent you some comments, and uh, you know I hope people find it the comments useful. Great. Yeah, I, I hope they do. I hope anybody who's listened this through this, uh, I think it's. You know, I I haven't done any more detailed work, and I wouldn't. I don't want to come out either way. But I definitely think it's helpful sure. to have a thorough, bold case. And I think it's obvious that you you've spent time on this, and so uh, I really appreciate you 
chiming yeah. in with those comments and then joining the podcast. And, and, you know, thanks so much for your time, Mike. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm long, along to beat. I've been long for three years and, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I obviously believe in it. So anyways, that's why. Right. But I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed this. Next week's podcast will be a discussion with Ethan Watkins about the bear case for DeVita and the problems with the company as he views it. So stay tuned for the other side of this trade. If you have requests for stocks to cover or stories to follow up on, email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com. And as always, Please leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts to help other investors find this and to tell us how we're doing. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening and see you next week on Behind the Idea.